So good morning, Cornerstone Church. So what's the, um, and happy February, what's the most important um, holiday in February? Friday! <laughs> There's a definite gender difference between those? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Definite gender differences. So, um, Valentine's Day, Super Bowl, President's Day, where does that come from? <laughs> That's just for the cerebral people. We're beginning a series this February on God, sexuality, and relationships. Boo-woo! <laughs> because you're going to get bombarded with all kinds of stuff over this next month about romance and sex. And we wanted to, um, to address that as a church. Interesting, um, it's one of those things that every day we have to deal with. We wake up and every day we got to deal with masculinity, femininity, sexuality, gender stuff. Every day, all through the day, almost every moment of the day, and then we go to sleep at night and it comes into our dreams too, right? So, um, so we wanted to approach that and try to bring a sense of sanity into this area of our lives. It is so intertwined with our sense of identity and with our spirituality. So um, let me start by stating the obvious. As soon as I get my... There we go. You know, last year we talked about generosity and we talked about how we all have our personal money stories that kind of shed light on how we think and feel about money. Well, the same thing is true about sexuality. We all have our personal sexuality stories that inform and, and cause us to think and feel certain ways about sexuality. For some of us, our personal sexuality stories have pain wrapped around in them. Um, maybe over things that we have done, maybe over things that have been done to us. And we've got to, when we talk about something that is this, this closely related to our identity and our spirituality and our sense of being and who we are, we've got to be very careful that we don't just kind of go charging in and create more pain um, than is already there. And so I wanted to let you know that this month as we're talking about these areas, we're gonna talk about them with tenderness and with grace and with gentleness. Because the goal, I mean, Satan's goal is to heap shame on us about our sexuality because he wants to undermine us there. That is not our goal in, um, in this month um, as we talk about this theme. Some of our um, personal sexuality stories are, um, are filled with shame and hopelessness. We've messed up so many times that some of us don't think we're ever going to get victory in this area of our lives. And, um, and Satan has this thing that he loves to do when he trips us up. First he causes, trips us up and causes us to fall, and then he heaps on condemnation on us. So that um, shame is really something that is powerful in many of our personal sexuality stories. This month we're not trying to add to the shame. As a matter of fact, we're going to try to lift the shame so that you can experience some of the grace of God and some more of the joy um, that God intends with our sexuality. Um, 
statistics everywhere tell us that many of our sexuality stories are um, filled with the lure of pornography. Seven out of ten Christian guys self-report that they are tempted by pornography at least monthly. Surprising new numbers in the last five or seven years. Um, Four out of five Christian women say that they are um, lured and tempted by pornography, um, most of it on the internet. And I pray that, that coming out of this series of sermons, that we will all start to develop some spiritual practices where we link up with with prayer partners and accountability partners, um, guys with guys and women with women, so that we can have spiritual practices that strengthen our desires for holiness in the areas of our sexuality. So at the end of the month, um, either the last Sunday of this month or the first Sunday of of March, we haven't got the date um, settled yet, we're going to actually have, after church, we're going to have two meetings. We're going to have guys in one room, girls in the other room, and we're going to talk more bluntly about some of the areas of sexuality that, um, that are more gender-specific. Um, some of our sexual stories do have to do with same-sex attraction. We're not going to back off the clear biblical teaching about that, but neither are we going to, um, going to condemn or, or really dishonor people who are struggling with those issues. So just know that as we start this as well. Um, Those of us who are married, not as many, obviously, in this congregation, but at some point in marriage, we have to actually, and when you get married, at some point, you're going to have to deal with sexual attraction um, outside of your marriage relationship. And if you don't find ways to talk about that, that is likely going to undermine you. Most of us here are single, and that means that most of us are going to have to try to figure out, or in the midst of already trying to figure out, how do we get like a God-honoring and holy sexuality in our dating lives. Um, and as Christ followers, we've got to get something better than just say no. We've got to get something better than, than lists of rules that we're not supposed to break. Because we've got we've to deal with a culture that is just awash in sexuality and hooking up and friends with benefits and, and all of those kinds of temptations that are out there. Um, and that means that as we get into this, um, we get, let's be honest, we're going to have to come to grips with when we have lost our virginity before marriage or when we've had multiple sexual partners. And we're going to try to help you with that if you are in that position because what Satan wants to tell you is you're, you're, you're nothing. You're no good anymore. You are, you're, you're spoiled goods, okay? That's not what Jesus wants to tell you. And so we will deal with that as well. And then just for every single one of us, I'm pretty sure we got to come to grips with how do we confess and repent when we have been involved in, in sexual sin. Um, please know that sexual sin is not the worst sin in the book. Okay, We can come up with worse ones, and our culture it tends to, to sound like it's, in the Christian culture it sounds like it's the worst one. But Paul does say that sexual sin has this unique damage that it does to us. Um, once again, because it is a sin against our own bodies and against our own identity. So you get the idea. We're all approaching this theme with our personal sexuality stories, and, and that will inform how we feel about what we're talking about throughout this month. Um, confession um, time here. For me, my struggles with sexual purity have been one of the greatest banes to my spirituality for most of my lives.
my life, right? Uh, I'm not approaching this thing from, you know, I figured this out and I'm now going to tell all of you how to do it. I'm not going to give you sets of rules. I'm not going to give you easy formulas because they didn't work for me. There are plenty of those out there. There are books you can read. There are messages you can hear that will line it all up and say, do this, 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 and this. They didn't work for me. So for most of my life, I had to struggle with how do I develop a God-honoring sexuality? And I've had to struggle with, with a, a failure in that process. Um, what I do hope I'm going to be able to give you is some perspectives to approach this. And I'm preaching this week, then Danny's going to preach for the next two, Hojin's going to preach for the last, last week. So I'm just trying to start here with some perspectives that will maybe restore kind of joy of, of gender and masculinity and femininity and restore some of the goodness of our sexuality. So this week as I was approaching this theme, I got Boston Magazine this month, February issue, and um, the, one of the main stories on the cover is Boston's Secret Sexual Revolution. And so I thought, you know, preach a sermon, I probably better read it. So I read through this, this article. Yeah, I only read it for the articles, right? Um, I read through it, and they were celebrating things like gender fluidity and swinging and sex toys, and sex for money, and bondage, and workplace sexual liaisons, and accidental sex with your roommates. This whole magazine was celebrating all of those things. And after reading the article, I realized that I felt dirty, and I felt sad. I felt dirty because I didn't need to learn all the ways that people are trying to get more sex in Boston. Um, And I felt sad because it dawned on me that the whole article was merely about animal sex. It wasn't about love or relationships. It was about copulation. And, and then I realized that the very thing that God created so that we would not feel isolated, when Satan wraps it around and messes it up, it becomes a way that we feel even more isolated um, than we would have otherwise. The good news is that the Bible and God's not silent about our sexuality. All the things that I've mentioned so far in this sermon, they're found somewhere in the scriptures. Um, Everything from all of the abuses and rape and incest and and, um, and pornography and um, adultery and premarital, all that stuff's in the Bible. To, to this other picture, if you haven't read it recently, um, in the month of February, if you want to, read the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is this kind of blushing review of holy sexual love. It is so blunt um, that, that theologians over the years have said, oh, that's not good. We can't talk about sex that way. It must be something spiritual. But it's basically a book that celebrates holy sex. And then we find out throughout the scriptures, God just has kind of words to say. And after reading that Boston Magazine article, I just wanted to hear the voice of God speaking about this area of our lives. So um, I want to give you, just read two scriptures, absolutely foundational ones that, that kind of allow us to build off of for the rest of the month. So first one is here is from Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 26 to 31. Second one's going to be from Genesis 2. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Um, some um, hints about the Trinity, by the way, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make God in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the seas 
and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This whole masculinity and femininity thing, this whole thing about sexuality, somehow mysteriously is wrapped into our being created in the image of God. We don't get how that works, but this is why it goes so deep for us. It is fundamentally a part of what it is to be a human being created in the image of God that we have masculinity and femininity and gender and sexuality. Next slide. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, every tree with seeds in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heaven and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God said everything, saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The pinnacle of his creation was mankind, male and female, in his image. And it wasn't just good, but this is very good. All right, the next um, scripture is in Genesis chapter 2, the second biblical narrative of creation. The Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. That's that whole isolation thing. It's not good that that man, it's not good that people should be in isolation. I will make him a helper, and that's a very kind of a complex word, helper, companion, partner, fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper, companion, partner fit for him. So the Lord God caused deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's God's picture of holy, gender-honoring sexuality that there can be shared between a man and a woman, husband and wife, nakedness without shame. Most of us can hardly imagine a shame, a sexuality that isn't shame-filled. But that's what God gives us for a picture. So let me share just a few points about sexuality so, to, um, to launch into this month, some of them for this, these passages, some from other places in the scriptures. First of all, we've already read it. Our sexuality is good. It's a, it's a, a good thing that is woven into how we are created as human beings. And um, we see it in Genesis 1, that God creates us in his image, and male and female, and God said everything, saw everything he made, and it was very good. But you know what? You didn't need that scripture to know that, right? 
you know that gender, masculinity and femininity, there's a goodness about that when it's not stained by sin. We, we know it in, in just our attraction to people of the opposite gender. We, we, I, I mean, we see, kind of, it's fascinating as I watch my grandkids. I watch um, my granddaughter's femininity, my grandson's masculinity, and they're these little, but, but it comes through as something wonderful that God has made. We know that it is a good thing when we watch two people and we say, we realize they have a holy you know, relationship-honoring love for one another. And so we go to weddings and we rejoice in the goodness of that. Then once people get married, we look at the children that we make in our marriages. And you can't look at your kids and not be amazed. And we've had a bunch of babies born this year here at Cornerstone. I'm pretty sure you ask any of those parents, you know, did you imagine anything as overwhelming and as glorious as your little baby boy or baby girl? And they'll say they had no idea what it was going to be like. Gender, masculinity, femininity, sexuality is all woven. And this is a very good gift that God has given us. And, and you guys know, I, I should have said this before, but sexuality is way broader than just the act of sex, okay? So don't just minimize it um, there. And know something else, because most of us here are single. Um, the goodness of sexuality is not minimized because you're single. You don't have to be having sex to be masculine or feminine or fully human. And we know that because we're told in the scriptures time and again that Jesus was fully human. Fully human. And yet he was a celibate single. So just don't, don't kind of park this away as, you know, that's something about when I get married. Um, this whole goodness of gender is, is not minimized by the fact that you're single right now. And as a matter of fact, you're going to be able to explore different aspects of your masculinity and femininity and sexuality when you're single than you will when you get um, married. Okay, so first point is our sexuality is good. Second point, you know this too, you don't need me to tell you this, our sexuality is very powerful. And so we've got um, the scripture where um, God says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then out of that, they are given the ability to subdue and care for all of creation. That's a pretty significant power. But you don't have to read it in scriptures because you know the power of sexuality in the hormones that are inside of you. And all of a sudden, somewhere around 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, all of a sudden, we, you know, all the lights go bing, and all the antenna are up, right? You know the power that's there. You know the power of sexual attraction. Um, you know the power of temptation to sin. I mean, our sexuality is very, very powerful. You already know that. But you also know that it has power to incredibly fulfill us or it has power to wound us. And that's what Paul says, that sexual sin is, is something that goes internal. So if you're handling nitroglycerin, something that has power that if you drop it, it'll blow up, you're going to handle it carefully. The same is true of our sexuality. There is such a great power here that it needs to be handled carefully. And so that's why God has given us um, just clear guidelines in the scriptures as to the boundaries for the various forms of sexual expression in our lives. Because God has given it to us for our goodness 
And he's given us the gift of sexuality that we would experience its power that, that will bless us deeply and, and complete us and make us whole. Um, so God gives us boundaries. Within those boundaries, there is great joy. There's great freedom. There's great, and this is not just sex. This is within the boundaries, whether you're single or married, there is great power to bless you. Um, the boundaries are really clear, okay? Um, sexual intercourse is for married couples, um, exclusively for one another. Premarital sex is, is out of the boundaries, and therefore it is destructive. Um, lust, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, that lust is the equivalent of adultery. It's sin, it is destructive. The scriptures talk in a number of places about pornography. And we think it's a, a 20th century internet thing, but this is something that is talked about the scripture, in the scriptures as sin and therefore being destructive. And when you look through, through the scriptures, every form of sexual coercion um, or abuse is considered sin and is destructive. Now, God didn't give us these boundaries to withhold goodness from us. He gave us his boundaries so that we could fully experience his goodness. So someone has said that sex, is, sex itself is like a, a great river that runs deep and strong as long as it stays in the banks. But when it gets over the banks, it starts to become destructive for us. Um, sex outside of God's boundaries wounds our souls. Sex and sexuality expressions within God's boundaries nourishes our souls. All right, remember that, um, that um, line from the first Spider-Man movie? Um, with great power comes great responsibility. Okay, which leads into the next point. It's our responsibility. Not somebody else's. It's not our parents. It's not our friends. It's not our pastor. Um, it's not our boyfriend or our girlfriends. It's our responsibility to protect the goodness and power of sexuality. Every single one of us has that as a responsibility, whether we're married or whether we're single. As a matter of fact, one of the marks of growing up and growing deep is coming to grips with, with, with protecting the goodness and power of sexuality. So the scripture that I have for you there is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Just one of the places where Paul talks about this. Paul says, it's God's will that we should be sanctified, that we should avoid sexual immorality, that each of us should learn to control our own bodies in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like Boston Magazine. Um, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Um, it's our responsibility to protect the goodness and the power of sexuality. Two more points. Um, number four. When we fail to protect the goodness and power of sexuality, there's something that we get to discover, and that is this. God's grace is more powerful than the power of sexuality. I have to tell you guys that um, I've never received more grace in any other area of my life from God than this. There are times when, when I just felt so defeated, like, how many times am I going to come back and ask for forgiveness from these sins over and over and over again? And God keeps on saying, you are forgiven. And there's a great verse that, um, I, I said this when I was meeting with the children's workers earlier this morning. Um, we, we need to put together our, our top ten list of scriptures that we should memorize here at Cornerstone. One of those ought to be 1 John 1.9. 
and hopefully, I hope you've memorized it, but um, um, it's one of those scriptures that I had to memorize probably when I was in high school at some point. And 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful to forgive us our sins. We, we get that part. We got the cross. Jesus died on the cross that we might be forgiven when we confess our sins. But there's a second phrase that goes there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Here's the grace of God. And it matters most in those areas where there's the greatest shame in our lives. The grace of God doesn't just forgive you. The grace of God purifies you from unrighteousness. So we confess, Lord, I failed you again. Will you forgive me? And this is what he says. Absolutely yes. And by the way, you are completely pure as of this moment because my forgiveness for you goes that deep so that we don't carry around the stain of shame in our lives for anything. Now, if we fall into that sin again, we do that again, and here's what I found out. Every time I confess my sins, every time, God says, yes, you are forgiven. Yes, you are now pure again. Which means that if you ache for purity, all you need to do is go before God and say, God, it's me again. (laughs) I've messed up again. Will you forgive me? Will you give me strength to start to grow in this area? And then God says, you are forgiven and you are pure. Um, And then the final point here. By the way, um, it's probably going to be true for many of you. This is probably going to be an area of your life where you will come to understand the greatness of God's grace. And you're going to feel, you can feel like a failure all the way through, or you can start to rejoice that God's grace even applies to me. Uh, if you, by the, I, mean, I should have said this before too, if you're really struggling with some area of shame or some area of addiction, um, you probably need to, uh, I mean, you bring it to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, but you probably also need to bring it to a brother or sister in Christ. I still remember when God said to me at one point, I think it was in my mid-30s, God said, Bill, I will not give you victory over this area of sexual sin in your life until you confess it to a brother in Christ. And so I've made a habit of, of having prayer partners my entire life that I can confess these, and I ask them to ask me the hard questions. If you're struggling, you got to... Here's the thing. The more often I talk with a brother about my sexual struggles, the more pure I get. It's crazy just have to have the conversation. And then I walk away and I'm more complete and I'm more whole. So don't bottle this up. Talk with a brother or sister in Christ. If you know that it's really crippling you, either shame or addiction, you probably need to get to an older, mature um, person who's walking with the Lord, Christian, and let them refer you to somebody who can help. This, our sexuality stuff gets so complicated and twisted that when it starts to get off-center, it's really hard to sort that out. So get help. Why would we wait if we can find people who can speak wisdom and speak the Spirit of God into our lives in that area? Why would we put that off for a year or two years or 10 years or 20 years? All right, um, last point here. Finally, um, as new creations in Christ... Developing a God-honoring sexuality will take the rest of our lives. Now, that sounds depressing because you really want to figure this out and get on with it. Um, But actually, it's more depressing, I think, 
to have this expectation that you're going to figure this out in the next year or two years or when you get out of your 20s. So at one point, um, again, this is, um, was in my mid-30s. We were in Panama at that point. I thought, you know what? I've been struggling with this. Surely when I get older, these temptations are going to go away, right? And so I was in my 30s, so I found a guy in his 40s. Said, hey, you still struggle with sexual temptation? He says, oh, yeah. Okay. Get out of here. <laughs> found a guy in his 50s. By the way, you still struggle with sexual? Yeah, I do. All right. Found a guy in his 60s. Do you still start with, yeah. Found a guy, I found a guy in his 80s, all right? I went 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and I said, is it over with? And he says, no. He says, I'm still processed. Here's the thing. This is a lifelong journey. So don't think that this is something you're supposed to get fixed and perfect right now. God is asking you to make progress in the journey. Here's some things that I've learned um, a little bit um, along the way. I have learned that this is an area that, that I don't have the power to transform on my own. I can't make myself different at this depth of my being, but there is a power of God. And there are ways that I, I look back over the years and I realize the power of God has shown up and has transformed me. And so I was talking with my son um, uh, last week in... Um, in Chicago, and, and I was able to share with him, you know what, I can now, I can look at a beautiful woman and a sexy woman, and it doesn't flip into lust right away. I can actually enjoy feminine beauty and not struggle with it being a matter. Why? Well, that's something that's grown over the decades that wasn't, um, wasn't as, as much within me when I was younger. First thing, it's going to take the power of God. I've also learned it's going to take effort on my part. If I do nothing, I'm just going to be sucked into the morass of the culture and, and the situations around me. It, if you don't do anything to protect and guard the goodness and power of sexuality, you're, going to, you're just going to keep on feeling like you are losing the battle. Here's a third one, and this one's still true. I've learned that it takes courage. It takes courage, first of all, to look inside and say, where's that coming from inside of me? What's really going on there? To stop making the excuses? But it takes courage to talk with Marla about this stuff. I'm scared to death sometimes to talk about these kinds of things. It takes courage. So when you're, you're meeting with, with you know, guys with guys and girls, just encourage each other to have more courage in this area. Um, next, I found that it does take community. I told you at uh, the time that I remember where God said, no victory, Bill, until you share this with a brother in Christ. So, um, so find a, a prayer partner, accountability partner. I found that it takes the grace of God. Without the grace of God, I would have given up a long, long time ago. And I just, I just can't praise God enough for his um, free um, and just overwhelming grace that I've never deserved. And then finally, it takes time. It just takes time. And it's okay. Keep on making progress. The list of rules aren't going to help because this is at the core of who we are, being changed and transformed by the Holy Spirit. But I just have this, this picture of if we can talk about this more, if we can, can open up these areas, how might we be a picture to the world of wholeness and goodness? How might we all enjoy life so much more without the stain of shame that's so often attached to our sexuality? So um, I put together some scriptures um, there are tons of scriptures about sexuality. I just put together some of them for us to read as a responsive reading. 
and, um, and there's way more than, than are here. Um, but what I'd like to do is, is let's stand together, and we're going to do a responsive reading together. But go ahead and stand. And before we do the responsive reading, would you just kind of close your eyes and just invite Jesus into this area of your life? Because when we do the responsive reading, we're going to be doing uh, rededicating our bodies to the Lord. So just take a moment now and speak with Jesus. I tried to ask the Lord what he wanted to say to you and this is what came to mind your heavenly father rejoices over you with singing every single one of you and he looks at every single one of you and sees a unique and magnificent beauty as he created you that will never be duplicated again now unto the king eternal immortal The only wise God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you this week.